Greetings, this is Jean-Claude Matuku and welcome to the Canadian in me, where we build communities one story at a time. I welcome you, I hope you're doing well. I also hope that you're still taking good care of yourself. Today's episode is really exciting because it's on a topic that I'm very passionate about. Today we'll talk about the International Day of Living Together in Peace. And then we will have a guest who will come and speak to us about some initiatives that he is doing along the lines of promoting peace, both within Canada and outside Canada. Before we speak about the International Day of Living Together in Peace, I would like to throw a few numbers at you. As we speak, or as of June 2019, there are about 70.8 million uh, forcibly displaced people all across the planet. The number of refugees is about 25.9 million. And then we have about 3.5 million asylum seekers all across the planet. Here is another fact for you. Every day, around 37,000 people are forced to flee their homes. So on a daily basis, around 37,000 people are forced to flee their homes. Think about that. That is exactly why it is important to celebrate the International Day of Living Together in Peace. Because if you think about these numbers, you will come to a realization that there are so many problems happening all across the planet. And it is because of many things, such as war, climate change, now we have COVID-19. So there will be so many other issues happening. And all these things tend to lead into conflict, wars, hate. And I'm sure in your communities right now, there are so many tensions happening around resources, around race. So many people have faced discrimination during this COVID-19. That is why it is important for us to think about living together in peace. What does it mean to you? Why is it important? Well, let's dive a little bit into the International Day of Living Together in Peace. On December 8, 2017, the UN General Assembly adopted Resolution 72-130, which declared May the 16th an International Day of Living Together in Peace. It is all about accepting differences and having the ability to listen, recognize, respect, and appreciate others as well as living in a peaceful and united way. This day provides us with a unique opportunity to commit ourselves to the principles and values of tolerance, inclusion, and solidarity. It is an opportunity for us to mobilize the international community around the culture of peace, dialogue, both within and between nations. Finally, it is about accepting our differences and respecting religious and cultural diversity. That is why we celebrate International Day of Living Together in Peace. So for today's episode, we have an amazing young leader. This person is called Ahmed Ola. Ahmed is an activist, a humanitarian worker, an entrepreneur, the founder of the Canadian Rohingya Development Initiative. I have seen this young man in our community. I've seen him in Waterloo. I have seen some of his work and I can testify to the fact that He's a role model to so many young people in the Kishinev-Waterloo area and all across the world. I had the privilege of watching the play and the documentary known as I Am Rohingya. It is an inspiring documentary and I will highly recommend you to go and watch it. Well, 
Ladies and gentlemen, here is my conversation with Ahmed Ullah. So, uh, my name is Ahmed Ullah. Uh, I'm currently a full-time student at Walter Luria University, and I'm studying human rights and human diversity. Um, my family and I, we emigrated here back in 2009, uh, of course, seeking for a better life after the genocide that's been going on uh, for over 40 years in Myanmar. Uh, first, we lived in Bangladesh refugee camp, then we got lucky, then we were sponsored into Canada, and after getting into Canada, we pretty much had a hard time settling in here because we didn't know the culture, uh, we didn't know the language also. That made it hard. And especially coming to a, you know, I don't want to make this religious, but coming to a, a non-Muslim country was a little hard for us because, you know, uh, we have a thing called halal and haram, mm-hmm. what's permissible and what's not permissible. Food-wise, we struggled a little. And my mom was also dealing with mental health at the time we moved to Canada. Mm-hmm. So we were straight taken to foster care. So we were kind of trying to fight the system just to be one family mm-hmm. together. And... After that, you know, being in the foster care, I started learning the language, Canadian English language, and started developing uh, my mindset towards the Canadian culture. Then after I became uh, aware of what I could do in this country, you know, pretty much, you know, like how all story begins. I was <clears throat> like, you know, I'm in this country. I'm in a country where I could be anything, mm-hmm. whatever I want to be. Nobody is there to stop me, but to support me. Mm-hmm. You know, Canadian people are very, very, very supportive. You know, no matter which part of Canada you are in, everyone is very supportive. So I wanted to start advocating for my people. Yeah. Um, after the 2012, um, the genocide attack against the Rohingya people, I was like, you know, I want to try to do something. I want to try to make a difference. And I've been attending rallies, attending meetings, and et cetera. After that, in 2015, uh, the Rohingya community met up with a, a uh, direct uh, guy named uh, Yusuf Zin, who was studying his master's at University of Waterloo. Mm-hmm. And and he wanted to do something with us. He wanted to do for his master's program. Uh, he got some funding, $2,500, uh, from the city of Kitchener. And he wanted to do something with the Rohingya people. Then I suggested that we should do a play to raise awareness about the Rohingya people. And I know we could be helping a lot of people with that. And 14 of us, just work tirelessly to do something for the Rohingya people. That's how everything started. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's quite a cool story because, um, I mean, knowing some of uh, the people who were involved in that play and uh, just having seen them grow and um, even having watched, you know, the result of that play, I, I must say, you know, it's it's a must watch and it's very inspiring. Um, so also I did study. So personally, I did international relations in my university and we, mm-hmm. we studied a little bit about, you know, some conflicts happening, you know, with the Rohingya people. But, you know, seeing it from your play and your perspective, really, uh, I think it was very informative. And I really I will encourage people who are listening to go and check it out, you know, and uh, um, hopefully we'll talk more about that as well. So just before we dive deep into the main issues, um, tell me just something interesting about yourself. So um what what's one cool thing that you can say? Well, this thing defines me. Uh, something that defines me that would be I am very determined. Uh, I mean, like I can't take an answer for no. If I set my mind towards something, mm-hmm. I gotta find a way to accomplish it. I don't care how long it takes or how hard it is. 
uh, who's stopping me on the way. Mm-hmm. But if I'm setting out to do something, I have to be doing that. So like dedicated or determined, whatever you choose to accept from there. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we came from a world where we were told that we can't be anything. We were told that our lives were useless and we're denied everything. And coming to a country like Canada, where everybody's just supporting you, like I said earlier, you can't. Anything is possible. So I think I'm determined that, that way because I'm, I'm hungry for success. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what? Having seen you, man, absolutely. I think that's a great way of, you know, de- defining you. Because like I said, you know, I've seen some of the work, you know, like the, the Amrohinga documentary and just the story, but also your growth, you know, because I've been seeing you and some of your friends for a very long time, you know, playing soccer. Very long and, time, yeah. and I can really <laughs> attest to that, you know, being a very determined young man. Absolutely, man. And we're proud of you, Thank man. You. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, so like I said, you know, the theme for today is, um, um, you know, tomorrow, May the 16th is International Day of Living Together in Peace. Um, now, I just want to ask you a question, like, what does peace mean to you and why is it important? Peace. Yeah. Uh, you know, peace is a, is a very, very, uh, very broad word, actually. Mm-hmm. What peace means to me is living in a country like Canada. I mean, there is wrong, but I could say compared to most countries, we're near perfect. You know, Canada is a country. Look at, look at like, you know, when you talk about peace, Canada, for example, when this COVID-19 started mm-hmm. in China, the outbreak started in China. What did Canada do? We helped any way possible. Yeah. Every time there's a problem going on in the other side of the world, even though it's not a Canadian issue, because Canada cares about peace and sustaining relationship with other people, other countries, this country still look out for other people and help, even though it's not our concern. For example, when the Rohingya crisis was happening, Canada was the first country to donate $300 million. Wow. That is not Canada's concern, what is happening with the Rohingya people, but still, they know, they care. That's what peace means to me. Peace means to me is that allowing everyone no matter of their color, no matter of their religion, to live in a society where everyone is accepted equally, mm-hmm. where nobody is being discriminated because of their race or religion or the skin of their color. Peace means a living in a peace and harmony place. I don't know, I'm keep saying peace, yeah, yeah. peace but it's, it means like living, living in a place where you don't have to try to be someone else, where you don't have to be try to fit into everything, you know, like you don't have to fit in. Like Canada is an example. You know, we came here as immigrants from a Muslim majority country. I wasn't told to change my name. I wasn't told to change my skin color or to change my religion. Nobody has ever told me that. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, everybody helped me and, and, and helped me study my, my religion. You know, when I was in the foster care, they could have helped me learn about the Christianity, mm-hmm. about, the, about the Canadian culture. But you know what they did? They hired a cook for me so that I could have my culture with me, have the food that I used to eat every day. And they used to send me to the mosque. They got me, they got me a driver and wow. they sent me to the masjid. So that is, that is the peacefulness in my, my mind. Like a lot of people might have a different explanation of, of what is peace is. But to me, peace is where you accept everyone equally, no matter the background that they came from, no matter the skin color, no matter the religion that they practice. But in the eyes of everyone, they're the same. Wow. And the system... They're the same. Wow, that that's I think uh, that's powerful, especially like you said, you know, on a personal level, right? 
where you come in, obviously you have a different culture, a different religion, but then the people around, the people who welcome you actually accommodate um, your yeah. difference. You know, they, they appreciate it and they celebrate it. Like you said, in your case, um, yeah. they were able to allow you even to experience and discover more about your religion. So that's amazing, man. That's beautiful. Wow. Um, so the next question will be like, what are you currently doing um, either on a grassroots level or on an international level to promote peace? Uh, I am. Because for me, you know, I've been, ever since I've been in Canada, I've been hungry to bring peace with the Rohingya people. Mm -hmm. I know that I won't be succeeding in this thing because it's been going on for 40 years. And a lot of countries are supporting the Burmese government, you know, for me. But never say never. You know, like if you asked me 12 years ago, if I would ever be in the position that I am in today, I would never said yes. Mm -hmm. Because I was in a refugee camp. I was just trying to survive as long as I could. I was just trying to fight for my next meal. But now I'm in a position, I'm in a country where I can speak on behalf of millions. Mm -hmm. So time, anything can change. Anything can change. So that's why, you know, I'm I'm highly motivated towards speaking about the Rohingya people because I want to start solving, like, you know, like there's a saying, people say, first fix your home, mm -hmm. then fix something else. So I'm knowledgeable about the Rohingya crisis. I, I mean, I'm not expert on it, but I know enough to get going. So that's why I want to start working on the Rohingya crisis and try to bring peace to the Rohingya people. Right now, I'm not mainly focused on Myanmar, but I'm trying to bring peace to the Rohingya people or trying to work peace to bring peace to the Rohingya people in Malaysia and also in the refugee camp in Bangladesh right now because the things are very uncertain. And I plan to, uh, you know, broaden my mind while I do more, more further studies. Mm -hmm. and look into crisis like you know the palestinian crisis the syrian crisis and the libyan crisis yeah. and I start you know just doing things like that because i'm i'm very passionate about it you know a lot of people are 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 just trying to live a normal life and i think as a as a, as a human we should be able to give these people basic human rights and and things like that even in being in their own country they're not being accepted whether it's by the government or whether by the people i think that is very wrong and whatever it takes and and I mean, I want to dedicate my life to this and try to bring peace. Even just bringing a peace to one person means something to me. Just being able to give one person hope is more than enough, you know. So maybe that person gets hope, and another, per and maybe another person like yourself or someone who's listening to this podcast could be giving hope to someone else who never been hopeful in their life. So it starts. Everything starts one at a time, and and people say, you know, you can't change the world alone. That is a, that is a, I think, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. I'm not going to swear it still. <laughs> I think okay. that, that's, 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 that's not a thing people should be saying. It doesn't take an army to move a mountain. If a person starts digging one by one, eventually someday in their life, they will be able to, uh, to demolish the mountain. They can conquer the mountain. So, but someone needs to start. If you don't start, if you just keep waiting for everybody to say, you know, I can't do this alone then everybody might be thinking the same thing, right? Mm. I might be thinking that, you might be thinking that. But if we all take a step forward, then we all see. There are so many people are wanting to do the same thing just like you. Mm. So get a coalition to start up groups and stuff and then start rallies and start pushing things. That's how everything starts. You can't just stay quiet because you think that you're alone and you can't do it. Nothing is impossible. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. I think you you know you you nailed it because um you know everything is about taking initiative, right? And also using the platform because uh like you said, you know, you could have come to Canada and you know enjoyed the fruit of Canada. There is nothing wrong with it, but you 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 realize that you know there is a cause that you are very passionate about and you chosen to take that initiative but also to to raise awareness about it, which I think is very beautiful and inspiring in many ways because you are a young person who has said you know what i'm not going to be satisfied with just a status quo but i'll also do my mm -hmm. best to raise awareness of my people and i think i think that's yeah. that's amazing man yeah because those people deserve it you know like look there's more than 1.2 million rohingyas that are in the camp right now mm -hmm. you know we could have been you know we could we could have like they could have been just like us we were just like them sorry i meant to say we were just like them. We were not in a better position than they are. Mm -hmm. But not everyone had the chance to come to Canada. Not everyone got the opportunity. You you have to take an initiative to be the voice of the voiceless. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do that, I don't know what are you what are you gonna what are you gonna tell yourself? You know, we all have to die someday, and mm -hmm. we we'll all have a judgment day. Like I'm a very religious man in that perspective, mm -hmm. and I believe that I will have to answer for my actions. And what am I gonna say? What did I do with the gift that I was given? Just live the life for myself and while well, millions of other people who suffered with me in the camps are also suffering right now. Mm -hmm. So now I feel at least good that, you know, I'm doing something about it and other people are doing something about it. Even though if I'm not being able to do something, at least that I have hope that I'm pushing other people to do something to help the Rohingya people. Absolutely, man. And you know what? Uh, one thing, if I can just comment a little bit is, uh, honestly, you're doing great you know you are doing great and in terms of um raising awareness you have become you know that face and when people see you they jo uh, they don't just see you as you know ahmed you know they see ahmed but they also see what you represent which is you are a person who uh is an advocate you know for the for the voiceless because believe me you know like what's happening to the rohingya people around the world is, is it is very sad you know and i can relate to it being a congolese person and the stuff yeah. that are happening back in the congo is really really sad but to see a young person like yourself who has identified that gift um, but also who has said you know what i won't just settle but I'll voice this thing. It's really inspiring if for a person, you know, I'm way older than you, but like it's really inspiring to see a young person like you. And that I think inspires, like you said, um, it's almost like a snowball effect, right? So somebody starts mm -hmm. something, they hear your story, they see what you're doing, and they can pick from that. And it's rolling. Absolutely. Yeah, and it it's goes rolling. bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. yeah. You also talked about hope, right? Um, and hope is, hope is like a seed, you know, you plant it. And then something is going to come out of it and it can bloom and many people. Eventually. Will. Absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing, yeah. man. That's great stuff. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so thank you for sharing that. So, so what about, um, I'm now, for the listeners out there who want to learn more about, you know, some of your work that we talked about, um, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit more about the uh, the film that you did, the documentary, I'm Rohingya. Uh, I know you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but just tell us um, how yeah. did it come about and just a few things about it. Yeah. So, like I said, you know, at the start, everything just started. It was a child play, you know, like, you know, we're just playing around and we never thought this could, something could come out of this, honestly. You know, we started, like, uh, with the Yusuf, we started writing a script. We just took stories from our parents. We talked to our parents, and they told us stories. And we pretty much made out a script out of it. Everything is based on true story. Nothing is fictional. Mm -hmm. But uh, we, we, we didn't go mainstream with that with the thing, because uh, with the play. Because we have little kids as cast members. One of the kids 
uh, at the start of the the uh, the production, the kid was five years old. Jabir was only five years old, mm-hmm. and there's other kids who are like seven and eight, and you can't really like you know how you put a scene like you know like a raping scene. How do you kind of like show a gun scene and like a, like a very more brutal like mm-hmm. a, like how it was happening. So pretty much what we did is like we took the crisis and we simplified it, and we used the Chandler Moore Community Center that's in Kitchener. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had like their child, uh, child, uh, the, what do you call that room? Playground room, kids' playground room. Yeah. We used that room to practice for about eight months. Then the director was like, you know what? Let's do a show. Let's do a show out there and perform for people. Mm-hmm. Then we booked the uh, University of Waterloo uh, Theater of the Arts. Um, then we, we booked that and we started uh, selling the tickets pretty much actually with free and donate what you can. And we sold about 450 tickets in the first show. Oh, man. So that was, that tickets went within the first week. That was insane. We never thought that many people were interested knowing about the Rohingya people. But little did we know, there's a lot of people that don't know enough, and but they want to learn. Mm. So then we did a show. After doing the show, uh, we did a second show for World Refugee Day. Also the same theater. Also, that was sold out. Mm-hmm. Then we did a show for Islamic Relief Canada. And one night, we were able to raise $500,000 for the Rohingya people. Wow. And that's when we knew this wasn't just, uh, 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 what do you call This was no longer uh, as a uh, drama the kids were doing. This became a big thing because like a lot of people actually care about it. A lot of people are learning about it. And a lot of news and medias are talking about it. Before that, if you went to people in Canada and asked who were the Rohingya people, nobody would have knew what the Rohingya people were. Mm. Then the director was like, we can't really go around the world and start performing because like a lot of people started requesting for us to go do the show. It's hard because like a lot of kids don't have citizenship and a lot of kids are under the age of 18 yeah. and it's very hard to travel internationally with that. So the director is like, you know, let's do a documentary production. So then we started getting the camera involved and everything. Then we did a production. And after doing the production, now we pretty much almost uh, screened the show the, sorry, the documentary in more than almost uh, 20 countries oh. around the world. You know, we started with the first thing, the, it was launched in Canada, Canada-wide. Then then it went to Japan, like all over Japan and the States, Marshallland, uh, Indonesia. Um, then it just started going, exploded pretty much. And after that, almost everyone knew who were the Rohingya people. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the show was never um, uh, uh, intention to make money or whatsoever. <coughs> Excuse me. It's okay. But it was just to educate people. And we're mind blown by the success it brought. And I could happily say that that was the, one of the greatest masterpieces of my life so far. You did well in it, man. You know, I, um, I think I was uh, the University of Waterloo's uh, theater when... Uh, you guys had, the, yeah. So that was amazing, man. Just uh, you know the story behind it, but also I think you you also had an opportunity to share about the process of making the the film and the ups and downs and um, basically how real 
you know the whole film is and uh, how close it is to every one of you because we said you know it, it came from your parents experiences and what you had observed as well and that's well reflected in the film and i think um you all did an amazing job you know i think like you said it's a masterpiece but also it's an educational piece that i would highly recommend people to go and you know uh watch yeah, it people can watch it yeah it's a, right now it's, it's been you can stream it for free um uh there's a promotion going on for Ramadan actually okay. uh until Ramadan uh you can stream the uh, film for free uh, it's on Vimeo and also you can go to to watch i you can go to iamrohingyafilm.com uh, you can watch it all there uh until you know Ramadan for free perfect i will share the link um yeah so i know uh yeah we have to wrap up but like uh so any last remarks cuz like i i know you you know for me when i see you when i hear your name i see a leader right um so i don't know if you had a chance to look at the question but i i asked you uh what are some of your top 3 values of being a leader you know are, are there top 3 values yeah your values yeah so my value is someone who's respectful mm-hmm. if you don't show respect you can you can never uh never make it to where you want to get to you have to respect everybody and everything around you and leadership i love people who take the leadership and pushes other people up instead of bringing themselves up mm-hmm. because in this today's world i mean there's a lot of great people who are doing it please don't get me wrong whoever is listening don't get me wrong there are great amazing leaders but there are a lot of people who are self-claimed leaders who only pushes themselves who wants to see only their self growth mm-hmm. I believe leadership is a key problem to a lot of things. You know, sorry, keys uh, so, uh, like solving like a key resolution to everything. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not making sense right now. It's okay. <laughs> take your time. Take your time. I I think leadership is the answer. I wish my community had a good leader. Mhm. I if I knew the like you know, if Rohingya people had a good leader around the world, not just in Canada. I think our people could have been thriving much much faster. because now because I want to talk about my own home before I talk about other people's homes I feel that our leaders are everybody just want to bring everybody self up but nobody wants to help everybody who wants to make a difference mm-hmm. is every man for themselves and I think that as a leader one of my morals is you have to be a good leader mm-hmm. we have to push because we're here just for now but this work needs to carry on for generations to come but we need to push and be good leaders and how those young people understand that this is not just about them it's about a bigger crisis than them this is something bigger than all of us but we all have to take our leadership in a good way with good intention and push it towards uh push it towards uh, uh, like getting an answer or getting a resolution and the other what i would say is you have to be dedicated mm-hmm. you know a lot of people will close their door on you a lot of people will push you and say no but you got to find a way to resist that you got to find a way to say i don't take a no for an answer mm-hmm. unless you know you're doing something stupid please excuse my language okay. if you do something stupid yeah, yeah please let that one go but if you're trying to do something for someone else or trying to make a change into the world never take a no for an answer because a lot of people will say you know like especially politicians they they everybody's a busy people in this world mm-hmm. every day now people are busy but you have to make sure that they find the time to listen to you you got to make sure that they hear you out because 
your words matter. What do you have to say? Your initiative matters. So make sure you never take a no for an answer, but also make sure you follow up with the people that are supporting you and, and also wanting to help you. Make sure you're consistent. You can't just be like, you know, you do something today and never worry about it. And two years later, you come up and be like, you know, I want to do this again. No, you can't be like that. You got to be consistent because you're not just fighting for yourself. You're fighting for people who, who hope for a better day, who seeks to get justice someday. So, yeah, dedication is, is the one word because you always got to be dedicated. You got to be always, 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 always pushing to the limit until you get something. Wow. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. You know, I can't thank you enough. But once again, uh, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing. And I just let you know, as you talked about leadership, I think, you know, you, you have that, you know, you're carrying that torch. And I, I'm 100, you know, I'm 100% sure that, you know, even the young people that you are, uh, who are seeing you in your community, you know, they're seeing it. And I'm sure a few of them want to be like you. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Um, a lot of us are watching, you know, a lot of us are watching. We, we support what you're doing. Um, we like what you're doing. And I think, you know, there are some great things that will come ahead for you. Um, but also I highly encourage people out there who don't know about the Rohingya crisis. You know, it's, it's a real issue. We're talking about humanity and, um, you know, we have a responsibility to to take care of each other, but also to hold our leaders accountable, you know, because I think that's a big issue. Uh, holding our political leaders accountable and asking them about, you know, what are you guys doing about crisis X, Y, Z? Um, and then hopefully, you know, we can, uh, we can, can see I something some to it, if you don't mind. Yes, please. Sorry for interrupting you. No, it's okay. So what I want to say is COVID-19 is a reflection. COVID-19 is a thing, is like an educational piece. I don't see it as a virus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sad that people are losing, you know, I'm very, my heart goes out to all the people that lost family members and that are being affected by it. But for those of you who are not, you know, who didn't get the virus, what are you doing inside your home being trapped in a small place? That is the exact case of the Rohingya people. No freedom to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You can't leave. You pretty much don't even have enough food because a lot of people don't have jobs right now and they can't buy whatever they want to get. That is the exact situation of the Rohingya people. 1.2 million people trapped in a very, very, very small place. It's smaller than like maybe one quarter of Kitchener being trapped in a small place like that wow. and where they have no, no proper washroom, no proper water or, or any food. So now imagine we don't like this is the way. Imagine that imagine yourself right now. Don't you all want to be free? Don't you wish that you can just wish that this was all over and just get out of the house and go do something. Be free in the world. That is the case. All the Rohingya people, they all hope that someday that they will be free. They're just trapped like you. So now you can realize how hard it is just to be at home. How hard it is not having the things that you want, not being able to go hang out with your friend, not being able to go out to your friend's house or to dine out in your favorite restaurant. This is, this is an example. This has been going on with the Rohingya people for the past 40 years. You know, God has shown us a sign how other people are living. God has given us a little bit of taste of that right now. But we don't have to wait for these things to be permanent on our end. We don't have to wait for the things to happen here. Hate can spread faster than anything. Mm-hmm. But if we stop it, if we stop this racial discrimination and against hatred against all these people, then it can never come here. But I can guarantee you, if we just ignore it and just not do anything about this, 
I can guarantee you that you will not come here. Wow. I think that's a very good way to, you know, to conclude, you know, by giving us that, you know, almost like an imagery of what it is like to be trapped and to be confined in a very small space. And uh, that's what our brothers and sisters uh, in various camps around the world um, are facing right now. So, uh, Ahmed, I really appreciate your time and I really appreciate and I hope that, you know, at some point you'll come back and that we can talk about more other stuff, right? Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank man. you very much. Bro. Yeah, you too. Cheers. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please share, comment, give us suggestions. We are looking to improve as we go and we can't wait to give you some great content. This is The Canadian in Me, where we build communities one story at a time. Till next time.